You're listening to the Mile You're In podcast. Everything running related from 100 meters to 100 miles. And now, here's your host, Phil Patterson Jr. What's going on, everybody? This week, we're doing something a little different and something that I'm, I've really been looking forward to. We're going to discuss a few topics, um, some that are really, really important to me. You know, a lot of my friends in, in the running community that I interact with on a daily basis. You know, I know it's, it's crazy right now with everything that's going on. And you're just seeing so much division everywhere that um, I think it's nice for us to remember that there's a lot of good in this world and there's a lot of people that are, are trying to make positive changes um, and that everything we see in here may seem negative, but there's a lot of positive, uh, a lot of positivity out there. So I wanted to kind of embrace that message and, and keep lifting that up so we're not so constantly brought down by such negativity and, and stress and, and depression. I, I, I look at my social media on a daily basis, even this morning, some of my friends and, you know, they, they see what I'm going through and what I've overcome and, and all those battles. And sometimes I wonder why they don't reach out knowing what, what I've been through and, and what I could possibly say or do to help them. But that's, that's how we are. Sometimes we try to do it on our own and nothing wrong with asking for a little help. But today I have Yassine Daboon. There's so many things I could say to describe him. Uh, I first found out about him on the Ginger Runner live show. Just a great podcast where some real deep, powerful messages and and experiences were shared and and discussed. And just a humble guy was willing to come on and and talk with me and, and spread some messages with you guys. So um, welcome to the show, Yassine. Hey, thank you, Phil. Thanks for having me. I appreciate the kind words. Of course, of course. I, I you know, around the time, I can't remember exactly everything that was going on, but there was a big movement, especially like with Black Lives Matter and, and yes. just so much going on. And I've, with my website, I've interviewed so many uh, athletes from 100 meter sprinters to 100 mile plus runners, all different um, backgrounds. And it was, it was odd because most of them said they never really, like they had experienced some discrimination and, and racism and things like that, but none like involved with sports. So whether it may have been people were just keeping that quiet um, to not cause a scene and still Mm -hmm. felt that way secretly or they just were in the right you know environments where it was Mm -hmm. a more supportive community but you know I heard your your story and your message and and I wanted to share that with my listeners because I feel like it's still a topic that just like Ethan said on his show no matter when somebody listens to this whether next week next month next year down the road it's it's a message that I hate to say it because it's been so long that this has been going on, but I feel like it's still going to linger for a long time before I feel like we might, I don't mm-hmm. think we'll be able to see the end result, our kids, grandkids, so forth. But Well, I think yeah, what happened was during all of this social justice issues that were coming, you know, coming to a head months ago, 
you know, I think people automatically look at me and they see my life through the lens of social media or even just I am in the local community here in Portland, Oregon, where I live. And they just think, oh, I'm, you know, Yassine's this positive guy, always, you know, upbeat, smiling, you know, motivated. And actually, they don't realize that being a person of color, um, what you deal with on a regular basis and whether that's just like microaggressions or more blatant stuff. And I feel like within this last year, especially, I feel like with, uh, you know, the, the way the politics have been and, you know, the people have just been more emboldened to outright act in a certain way. And, you know, honestly, I just experienced a few things like rapid fire. And I just was like, you know what, that's enough. I'm not going to be silent about this anymore. So I made a social media post about it, about how not only have I been experiencing this, you know, this past week or two weeks ago or two months ago or two years ago, I've been experiencing this ever since I can remember since I was a little kid. And I've always just been kind of silent about it. You know, you don't want to cry about it or rock the boat or whatever too much, you know, or come off like that. Right. <laughs> or at least I, you know, I don't. So I just finally was just like, you know, enough is enough. All these people are speaking out about it. Why don't I use my platform to speak out about it? And um, I did that. And Trail Runner Magazine instantly reached out to me and asked me if I would write an article about it. And I also, in that article, just talked about the kind of disparity in trail running and about how just unbalanced it is, how few people of color participate in our sport of trail and ultra running. And why is that? And I think a lot of people assume that I experienced racism or microaggressions within the ultra running or trail running community. And I will, I will say that I have not really, I really, one of the things I really have been attracted to about the community and the sport is, is the opposite is like, you know, the camaraderie and the supportiveness of our, of this community. But uh, it doesn't mean I don't experience it on a regular day basis when I go down to the store or when I, you know, I'm around, I live in a very white city, you know, um, Portland and Oregon in general is, is a very, you know, there's a lot going on here, especially late as you have probably seen in the media. And then Ethan Newberry reached out to me too. So between the trail runner magazine article and then ginger runner, where you learned about me between those outlets and then actually the New York times as well, um, reached out to me and I did an article with the New York Times between those three outlets I feel like I grabbed a lot of uh, a lot of attention and people were like whoa I had no idea that you experienced that you seem like you're so you know you're so happy or whatever whatever your persona is and it's like yeah that's the whole point the whole point of like prejudice and 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 racism is that people treat you a certain way based on only, on the way you look, they don't get to know you. Right. That's, right. that's the, that's the frustrating part about it. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's funny. Two days ago, I went for a run. I just had on a long sleeve shirt. I, I used to wrestle in high school. So the, uh -huh. in big letters, it says USA and under it says wrestling. So I'm sure uh -huh. from a distance, most people just see USA yeah. and, and yeah. you know, that stands out to them. Mm -hmm. uh, 
if you've probably seen in photos or at least everyone that mm-hmm. knows me, I have a huge beard, which yep. to some people, I look yeah. like what most classify as a Trump supporter mm-hmm. for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. And I yeah, was on my a USA sweatshirt <laughs> on. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. So here we are in the midst of, you know, the election going back and forth right now. And I, I go for just a run to get away from all that. And mm-hmm, mm-hmm. someone sees me and I'm assuming it sounded like they were a Trump supporter because they yelled out, yay, Donald, as I was running by. <laughs> and, I, you know, I was in the mm. zone and kind of I heard it, but just kept going, didn't react to it or anything like that. But it, for the rest of the run, I was thinking about it. And, and when I got home, I, I told my wife that and she was like, well, you you know, and she it's funny because she's black and yeah, she, yeah. you know, we kind of make little jokes uh, about it. And she said, yeah, you, you know, they probably thought you were a Trump supporter. And if you would have responded, who knows what would have happened? So, yeah, it's like you said, they, you know, people just assume. Yeah, it's unfortunate. I mean, I've not in the same way, but in other ways, I think we've all kind of judged people totally absolutely phil i agree i uh i'm actually getting ready to go on a three-month road trip in my camper van with my family and i subletted our home out to uh to a woman um you know and then there's another guy who's renting another room and when he came up to look at the house he had a long beard like yours and tattoos uh you know and i was like my first you know judgment or inclination was just like right like you know like and guess what the sweetest guy like the nicest person he spent the first like 10 minutes just petting my dogs he offered to like take care of my dogs he's like the nicest guy and you know they both signed the lease and you know and it was a perfect example of how your, you know, misconceptions about somebody or prejudgment or prejudice, you know, um, based, you know, judging a book by its cover is oftentimes wrong. Yeah. And, and one more story before we get into your background is a few years ago, I started working at a running store and, um, mm-hmm. you know, as I'm in, um, meeting everybody, you know, one of the employees, he was known for making discriminating and racist jokes and things like that. And mm. everyone kind of just, they were like, that's who he is, you know, <laughs> whatever. They, they kind of just went with it because he never really would go like with words. He wouldn't uh-huh. be too harsh, but the message was there. Like he find yeah, ways yeah. to make it like a soft insult or a joke and not knowing me or anything about me customers or whoever would be there he he would make jokes and a lot of them were towards black people and the whole time like i'm so used to it that i've grown up around so much racism for me i just brushed it off but finally somebody was like aren't you gonna tell them that your wife is black (laughs) and for me it was like you know what i i've dealt with this i don't care like Unless he says something specifically about her or me, then I might say something, but I don't care. And somebody finally spoke up on my behalf and he came to me and, and you know, was was apologetic. And, mm-hmm. you, know, you know, I try to put things aside. So to this day, I would say we are to a point friends, but it definitely, you know, is one of those relationships where it's like 
you only go so far with a person because you know how they really feel deep down. So it's like, mm-hmm. so yeah, I get it. But, you know, leading with that, if you could start with just kind of introducing your background, your family, your, um, mm-hmm. where you're from, like how you, what you grew up, the environment, the atmosphere, the times. Yeah, sure. So I grew up in the early 80s in uh, northwestern Pennsylvania, a city called Erie, Pennsylvania, which uh, at the time was the third biggest city in the state behind Philadelphia and Pittsburgh. So uh, my parents got, I grew up kind of with a fair amount of trauma and, and my in my family you know there was my parents were fighting a lot and substance abuse was involved and um you know long story short they ended up getting divorced when i was about five or six years old and so my mom uh, was trying to raise three kids by herself uh i was you know six my brother was four and my sister was like two I don't know, still don't know. I mean, as you know, as a parent right now, and I know for me as a parent, I I think like, how the hell did she do that? But um, yeah, one is enough for me. I'm done. (laughs) Right, right. And uh, not to mention, you know, we lived kind of in a poor part of the city and, you know, we were on welfare and things like that. And, you know, I was just kind of rough going through elementary school, right? It was just like, you know, there were fights and we lived close to the projects and I, you know, we didn't have a lot of money, we didn't have any money. And so there was always that, that kind of that, that stress and anxiety that came with that. And so, you know, her trying to make a better life for us, she, she had finished college and went to school to be a teacher and they had this program uh, a loan forgiveness program where if she would move to this rural rural part of Pennsylvania to be a teacher where they needed her, that they would forgive her loans, meaning that she wouldn't have to pay them back. So she thought, hmm, don't have to pay back these loans. And it's probably a better, safer place to grow up and try to make a better life for my family. Uh, it was definitely a step up, I think. So she decided to move us out a few hours away to rural Pennsylvania to this small logging town of there were 5,000 people living in the town. Uh, I think there were maybe like three or four black people out of the 5,000. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So it was a very much a culture shock moving there. And it was very eye opening to me because I was called racial slurs as soon as I got there. And because they just, they didn't see people like me, they were ignorant and I I really started acting out in that sixth grade, seventh grade, which is always a tough time for kids. I I feel like I started trying to get accepted by doing crazy things, stealing, um, using uh, tobacco products was my first thing. And then I got into drinking at age 12, pretty young and, you know, other stuff, it kind of progressed and I started just getting into trouble. I was very defiant and my mom was still by herself. And as I started to get older and, you know, reached high school and hit puberty and got bigger and stronger and more reckless, uh, she couldn't handle me anymore. So she actually sent me to live down to Florida in Florida where my dad was living, Orlando, central Florida. 
Okay. And that's where I ended up going to high school. So I lived down there uh, through the mid nineties, mid to mid to late nineties and Orlando and did a lot of partying down there. A lot of, <laughs> you know, and that was also just another culture shock going from small town, Pennsylvania to, you know, right in the heart of like Disney and, you know, universal studios and tourism central big city right? right lots of diversity you know so yeah it was just kind of like these pendulum swings of 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 culture shock really and you know what really fed me and kind of helped me deal with i guess my anxiety and just feeling more comfortable in my own skin was just using substances and that's how i coped with all with it with it all and you know i became addicted to drugs and alcohol and pretty, pretty deep into it, uh, at a pretty young age. And, um, you know, it took me down pretty quickly and, you know, long story short, I bounced around to a few different places, few different States lived in Colorado from uh, my early twenties to my mid twenties. That's where I kind of really hit bottom. Like I went down really fast. I was, you know, 24, 25 years old and, my family on the East coast were kind of like, you should, you know, you're burning all these bridges. You're not very employable or, you know, you can find a job and, but you can't keep it <laughs> kind of thing. And uh, why don't you move back closer to family and try to get your life on track because you're 25 now. And, you know, and I knew I had a problem. They had an intervention on me. And so I ended up, I wasn't denying it. I moved back to, uh, upstate New York, place called Ithaca, New York. And uh, that's where I started my journey of sobriety. And that's, uh, a lot of people don't know this, but that's how I got into endurance sports. I was, um, I was actually going to a meeting. I was only, I don't know, five or six months sober and ended up uh, telling some guy that, yeah, I've been working out a lot, feeling good. I'm starting to do more cardio because I'm trying to stop smoking cigarettes. So I figure if I do more cardio, I'm not going to want to smoke. And he goes, Oh, you should, you should train for the triathlon and the YMCA, <laughs> you know? And I was just like, Oh, what's that? You know? And he says, swimming, biking, running. And I was like, huh? Okay. He's like, yeah, I got a bike you could borrow. I was like, no way. Cool. Okay. Yeah. That gives me, that sounds pretty intense. I like that. So I, I started training for this, this triathlon and that's kind of where my where I caught the bug for endurance sports um I finished that first triathlon I had a massive headache when I finished I just like pushed myself so hard I was wrecked and I was just like I really like this and I I want to do that again <laughs> and and I also really like the the process the process um, leading up to it, like the structure and the framework of like going to the pool these days and like going on the bike these days and running and lifting weights and like that sort of discipline. I did, I was lacking that sort of discipline in my life um, before that. And that's uh, that sort of structure and discipline still continues to be an integral part of my life. And that's, that's what also was provided for me. And, you know, the 12 step programs that helped me recover from substance addiction was that, was that structure and that framework that 
allowed me to to move forward and progress and not just be like this rudderless boat out in the sea just you know going with the wind um it gave me direction and it gave me hope and it gave me something to focus my energy because i had lots of i've always had lots of energy and lots of motivation i just was in the wrong it needed to be steered in the right direction right now, did you yeah. did you just jump right into a full on Ironman, or was it like a sprint distance, like a shorter? Yeah, no, that's a good question. I never, still have, to this day, have never done an Ironman, which I do want to do. Um, normally, that is my style to jump in, like <laughs> uh, jump in like that. But um, I did not. I did uh, just sprint and Olympic distance, um, and okay. so. Yeah, so I did those for a few for a couple of years, and then crazy story is one day I was out on a bike ride. It was like my last bike ride before the race, a, a few days later, and I I still remember I was just looking out at this lake and thinking like, oh man, it's so beautiful. I can actually see the lake because there's no leaves on the trees yet. And as soon as I looked back a minivan was coming and it just totally swiped me and I, yeah. So I had got hit by the car and it was pretty bad. And, uh, I had, I had to end up being life lighted to a trauma center in a helicopter. And, uh, I always joke, that's the last time I was high because (laughs) they they stuck me with morphine. I was, uh, I was a couple years sober at that time, but they gave me morphine and, um, the last time I was high was in a helicopter. <laughs> so, wow. Yeah, it was pretty intense. So when I got, I was kind of never the same on a bike after that. And even though I did do a couple, you know, sprints and Olympic distance tries after my accident, just to prove to myself, I wasn't, you know, scared of the tries. I, uh, I kind of gravitated towards trail running and well, mostly just running. So I kind of got into marathoning. So I would do like road halves and road pulls because in my tries, I only did like the shorter distance runs, like 10 Ks and five Ks and stuff. I was like intrigued to go longer. So I did half marathons and full marathons and did a bunch of the big city marathons. I did Miami down in your neck of the woods um, was my second ever marathon. And that was kind of like the first real like glimpse of like, ooh, I really like this long stuff because it really surprised me. My my first one, you know, I, I totally blew up in Washington, D.C. at the Marine Corps Marathon and uh, totally just went out too hard and like exploded in the last like five miles. But at Miami... I ran a great race and I started like kicking hard at the end and like finished like 249 in my second ever marathon. Wow. You know, it was like, I was like, like supercharged at the end. I was just like yelling and like, yeah, yeah. You know, (laughs) I was just like, I was like, oh man, I like this longer stuff. Right. So I ended up, I kept doing some marathons. I did Boston a couple of times and New York city and things like that. And, I was, you know, I was doing pretty well, but then I started reading these books about ultras and that's when I read Dean Carnaz's book, Ultra Marathon Man. I think yep. that was in like 2006 maybe. And I uh, started reading some other books and, you know, one of my friends in Ithaca, he kind of 
he had attempted a hundred miler and I was very intrigued by that. And at that time I was like, okay, I know what these road marathons are, but these ultras sound really mysterious and intriguing to me. And that I've always been a very adventurous person and kind of a risk taker and pushing the envelope. So I was like, you know, I want to try one of these ultras. <laughs> and so, yeah, um, honestly, I, I, I got into my first 50 K and had a great success there. And, uh, you know, I loved it. I loved the community. I loved the nature aspect. I loved, um, the different variables, the mental aspect, the training again, leading up to it, the journey to get there. And yeah, one thing led to another 50 K 50 miler, you know, right. I hundred, you know, hundred miler. Um, I did jump up pretty quickly. I just, I did one, maybe a couple 50 Ks and one 50 miler. And then I, I did a hundred well, and that was in you're better 2008. <laughs> yeah. Cause I did 50 K 50 mile and we're right, right to a hundred. So yeah, you, you at least slightly eased into it more than me. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, people warned me too. They're just like, dude, be careful. Like don't jump up too quickly. And I mean, I did get a couple injuries uh, when I really started running a lot more. Um, but, uh, you know, knock on wood, I, I really kind of, uh, made a pretty clean transition into ultras and I really kind of entered the sport as it was really blossoming and kind of mushrooming in size. Um, it was right before like born to run came out and <laughs> like, you know, and, uh, you know, and then I also simultaneously moved to Oregon, which is kind of a hotbed for trail running and ultra running. Yeah, definitely. And my running really took off when I moved here. And, you know, by then, I mean, you know, I'm putting together five, six, seven years of continuous sobriety, strong running, consistent training, running mountains, now living in Oregon. And my running just like took a new level. And I started just changing as a person and being super healthy, my body and rebuilding itself and yeah i mean it's just it's really crazy to think about how the metamorphosis of my life um really just changed and you know i guess we all just go about our lives we get busy and we we kind of forget sometimes to look back and reflect on everything that we've done and how much we've changed yeah definitely and you know something that just popped into my head as you were talking about it it was a conversation I had probably about a year and a half, two years ago. I have a uh, habit of just doing things repetitively. And mm -hmm. I found that just from talking to other people who dealt with substance abuse and addictions and things like that, a lot of us tend to have that same lifestyle where we'll do something over and over, over again, and then something new will be introduced. And then we do that over and over again. And we don't mm -hmm. get bored of it. We don't get tired of it. It's just one day something changes and triggers a new addiction to something different. And yeah, I remember seeing an article about Eminem when yeah. he, he picked up running, he was yeah. running on a treadmill and he started doing 17 miles a day. And I'm like, yeah. as a runner i'm like there's no way but as i read the article more <laughs> you know i seen he was splitting it up he was doing like 
you know, maybe nine in the morning and he might do eight later on, or he would like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That. but he had this now addiction of, I have to do 17 miles every day until he realized it was just beating him up. And then he re- also realized I don't have to necessarily do that, you know, and it, yeah. it kind of hit me because i found that that's kind of the personality I had. And especially when it came to running, you know, mm-hmm. there was a point where 5Ks was my thing. And, and like mm-hmm. I had this huge goal of trying to break 20 minutes. And mm-hmm. it was like when I nice. broke that and I felt like I was in some of the best shape of my life, mm-hmm. everyone was like, now's your time to keep pushing it. Like you could go like they encouraged me to the point And they were like, look, you don't even take this that serious. You don't train like most people do if you were to put in a little more effort you could definitely get sub 18 maybe even 17 and all of a sudden after i hit the sub 20 it was like i want to do 100 miles like it was just nice. you know uh, yeah I, where are you from <laughs> where are you from so i'm i'm from born and raised in fort lauderdale um, okay and for me it's you know it's a little di- well i shouldn't say a little different it's a lot different from where you've been other than Orlando, you know, it's, it's uh-huh. pretty flat, very humid, uh, right. very boring when it comes to running. There's not much, um, you know, even very if you run along the beach, you're yeah, mostly yeah. blocked by condos. And so you don't really see the beach as much as you might right. see displayed in movies. Um, right. You know, you ran Miami, so, you know, that's, probably, yeah, yeah. to be honest, that's the most water uh, that I th- mm-hmm. think I've ever seen in a race down here, but yeah, I w- then wanted to ask you, do you see yourself in that same, uh, routine sometimes where, whether it's, uh, cause people, and I joke about it too. I'm known to eat the same thing over and over and over again until one day I'm just like, I try a different food and all of a sudden it's like, Oh, you know, I like that. And next thing I know I'm buying that for three, four yeah. months in a row and just eating the same foods or, or, yeah, in some ways, I, I am a creature of habit. You know, it's like, I, I agree. I can relate with you in that I'll, I'll tend to do the same routes or the same, you know, I, yeah, like you said, I'll, I'll eat a lot of the same things. And that's one thing I've been really been trying to be mindful about in this year, 2020, as we've, you know, don't have races as much. And, you know, for me, I, I was like, one of my goals was this year is like this summer, I'm like, I'm going to pick out new places to go every week. And, you know, I guess it's a little easier for us out here because we have so much like wilderness nearby and right. mountains and things like that. But I realized like, God, I run like two to 3000 miles a year and I go to the same places right. over and over. I'm like, I'm going to go. There's so many other places out here to go. So that, it, that's been a fun thing for my brain this year is to just like map out these routes and go to these new places and like expand my, my mind a little bit and, and check out these new places. It's been great. And there's been a great silver lining in in this 2020. And, and I think there's a lot of correlation that happens this, you know, what has happened this year and what happened with me in my life. For example, I, I went through a lot of pain to get where I am today. And usually a lot of change happens that way. A lot of growth happens that way. Whether you're a bodybuilder in the weight room and you're pumping iron, you have to 
like they say, no pain, no gain. Right. Right. I mean, you, you know, or, or if you're training for a 5k, like you, you're trying to break, you know, 20 minutes or 17 or whatever, you have to put in that work and you have to feel that pain and struggle. And I had to feel this pain to overcome my substance addiction, to grow into the person I am today. And I really am hopeful that as a country and as a society, we are going through this painful time right now to have it be a, a, a touchstone of growth as a country. I'm, I'm hopeful and, and very confident that that's what we're going through right now. And we're, we have to go through these painful times and these challenging times for us to be like, we need to confront these things and we need to grow as a society and as a country. Yeah. And, and I'm glad you mentioned that your ethnic background, what, um, if you can yes, tell us a little bit about that. So we sure. understand. Yeah. My father's from North Africa, uh, a country called Morocco. It's uh, Morocco is an interesting country because it's the gateway to Africa from Europe. It's okay. only nine miles south of Spain and Portugal and Northwest Africa. So in Morocco, you have, I have relatives and um, you have people that are dark skinned, black, African looking. You have people that look Arab and you have people that look European. And so the race, you know, the racism is not really, you don't really have racism there because there's just this mix of like European type people, Arab looking people and, you know, African looking people. So, yeah, so that's where my father's from. He moved here to the States in the 70s. I always joke that first blonde American that he met in college out came me, you know. So, but in a nutshell, yeah, my mom is European background, um, blonde, and my my dad is uh, darker skin from Morocco, North Africa, and so I'm I'm like a mixed race person, yeah. So the reason I I asked that just so people uh, who mm-hmm. may not have seen you yet can kind of paint a picture. Sure. Um, did you experience from one side or the other any kind of racism or discrimination from? from the family towards the other or towards you directly at all? No, I mean, not really. Like, uh, you know, um, I, I, I haven't really, I, like I said, most of the, most of the time, most of the racism that I've felt is just kind of in, in, uh, you know, places that were very, you know, rural, um, whether it's here in Oregon or, you know, um, in Pennsylvania, Honestly, like I've found a lot of similarities, all the places I've lived. Once you get outside the urban areas, it's very similar. I mean, it was the same in Florida. It was the same in Colorado when I lived out there, New York State, Pennsylvania, and now Oregon, which I've lived the longest out of all those places. I've lived here in Oregon the longest uh, 11 years now. But yeah, you know, it's... It's an unfortunate reality of our country and the history of our country. Um, and it's yeah, just a lot of that stuff that's really just kind of baked into our, our society that has just been accepted for so long. And like I said, I just think a lot of these things are starting to come to a head and, and to be dealt with and confronted and talked about and called out. And, uh, 
not accepted anymore. One of the reasons I was curious about that is I personally have dealt with it and I know some friends and, and other even family members that have dealt with it because there is my family, my side is pretty much all white. Uh, my mom was from Philly. My dad's from um, like the Buffalo Hamburg area. Oh yeah. My cousin, some of my cousins are, are Hispanic. They were born down here in Miami. So they, they had a little bit of it, but for me growing up uh, right around like junior year in high school, I started dating black girls. And that's when I realized how racist certain people in my family were, even though it was an all white family, it's that thought process of some people are acceptance of interracial uh, accepting of interracial dating and others aren't. And Mm -hmm. I think the, the one time that really hit me the most was I don't know if they knew I was in the range of being able to hear what they were saying. Uh, mm-hmm. Maybe they did and they just wanted me to hear it and kind of mm-hmm. play it off like, oh, he won't hear us type of thing. But mm-hmm. uh, one of my family members said to my parents, you know, because they would always ask, uh, you know, they every time you get together, oh, do you have a girlfriend yet? And, and knowing mm-hmm. that certain people didn't accept that, I would just always lie and say I didn't. And mm-hmm. Uh, I got up. I remember we were at a Hungry Howie's pizza place. And uh, (laughs) for those that don't know, they have like a buffet section. So I was getting some pizza from there and our table was five, six feet away. And I heard the family members say to my parents, uh, you know, I'd rather him come home with a a guy than a black woman. And yeah, it was just like, so you'd rather me be gay than have a black girlfriend not that there's you know anything wrong with one or the other in my opinion but like you're now saying that you know one thing that you don't like is worse than another thing that you don't like and it's at that point it, it caused me to shut down more with interacting with family members and I feel like like you said now it's gotten to the point where I've become so vocal that I've now kind of i wouldn't say burned bridges but i've definitely just removed myself from communicating mm-hmm. with a lot of people in my family and former friends because i just yeah yeah it's yeah it's not you don't want to associate with that kind of ideology and mentality yeah i i totally agree i mean i you know and i'm sure my dad had an experience stuff from my mom's side of the family too now that I think more about it, I'm, right. I'm sure, you know, him coming from, you know, North Africa, from Morocco to, to a white, you know, Catholic family in Pennsylvania, I'm, I'm sure he, I'm certain that he experienced it. Uh, he has, he never really talked about it much with me, but I'm, I'm certain he experienced at least some microaggressions towards that. Like you said, it's one of those things now where, I think the more we're exposed to it and the more we're becoming brave, I, I guess you would say many yeah. people would look at it to, to stand up and say something. Uh, yeah. We're starting to realize more and more true colors of different people. And yeah, it, it makes you look back. Like you just said, you start looking back at different situations and mm-hmm. you know, experiences. I, I've done it where I'm like, I, I have a flashback of a moment interacting with my parents or someone. And I'm like, you know what? Now I understand that situation more than I did as a kid because you just don't grasp right. what's going on. Right. And right. It's it's just crazy that 
uh, a lot of it is so hidden and yeah i know and then and then you have some that are just so blatantly open about it so that that would be my next question is like you know in or out of the sport i know you said it's it's been more out of the sport what would mm-hmm. you say are some some of the experiences that you uh, had to deal with and and like how did you handle them like just to give people an idea of some of the stuff you deal with because oh, we don't all um, deal with the same stuff yeah i mean like the, some of the stuff i said in the articles you know was more of just like you know people will say you know like in the sport i guess like where are you from like you look or people will say you look so fast because you know you have a bald head and you're dark skinned <laughs> and you're skinny like you're lean you know it's like where are you from you're so exotic looking or you know or you know people just constantly like mispronounce my name over and over and over again even when i correct them and right things like that but yeah like you know normally in the in the sport i i i feel very like trail runners and ultra runners and runners in general are like my tribe you know and i feel i love the community i feel like feel like you can pick another runner out you know you can look at another runner they can look at you and know that you know you look at the shoes look at your watch you know and you can you can kind of say hey we're from the same tribe but outside of uh outside of our niche sport um yeah i mean i experience stuff on a regular basis and it sucks and that's why i uh that's why i became kind of vocal about it i'm i'm sick of being silent about it and uh, you know one example was uh that I mentioned in one of the articles that I wrote over the last few months is that, you know, I was literally parallel parking downtown and I touched a bumper as I was parallel parking. I mean, that's literally what the bumpers are for, especially when you're in a city and you're parallel parking. And the woman called the cops on me because she felt like I was trying to get away with something, but there was no damage. And it was just, you know, it was just very embarrassing because I was meeting with a client, a potential client inside this coffee shop at the table. We're in like mid conversation and a police officer comes in and interrupts the conversation and asks me to come outside and talk. And it was just it's all because this white woman like was just like wanted to call the cop. I mean, the cop was even like I would just suggest, you know, exchanging information and let's just move, go on with our way. And I, I was angry, you know, I really kind of lost my cool a little bit. I was just like, you're calling the cops about this. Where's the damage? Right. There's no damage, you know? And I really like raised my voice a little bit. And I was just like, you know, that's what's wrong. You know, and I just started going off on her a little bit. And I was just like, I can't believe you wasted this officer's time, my time. I'm in the middle of a meeting for what? There's no damage. I was like, you better not even call the insurance, you know? And I, I just was like, I was just angry. I also got followed out of a store because I went into the store and I was looking around and I, I don't know, maybe I looked suspicious. They didn't have what I wanted. So I walked out and like lost prevention. People like follow me out, like checking me out. And I'm like, I didn't steal anything, okay? I right. just wanted to look to see if you had something, you didn't have it, all right? It's just like, yeah, man. It just, it wears on you after a while, you know, when you're just constantly, like, profiled for things. I think that's what people don't understand is being 
from a white background and, and, you know, anyone who's familiar with this area, it's actually, I would say more, there's more people of color. It's very diverse, but there's more mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, Haitian, yeah. Jamaican, Cuban. Right. Uh, yep. And, Dominican. Yeah. Right. So for me, you know, I, I understand it cause I've grown up in every school I went to, it was, you know, almost well, white kids were the minority. So yeah, uh, it's to the point where I experienced racism through them by them uh, yeah. telling right. me their stories or the, the one for me was we, you know, it was a group of us. It was, I want to say two white kids, two black kids and two Spanish kids. You know, it was like a group of uh-huh. six or so of us. And we were trying to get my buddy to sneak out the house. And I, I would say most, mm-hmm. we were all definitely in high school. So between nine and 12th grade, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we went to my buddy's house and, and you know how it is. You, you take some pebbles, you're throwing them at the window. So you're not too loud. And then he'd hear it, sneak out the window, climb down and we hang out, whatever. Well, his sister heard it, goes and tells her mom, her mom doesn't understand, looks outside, sees, you know, a bunch of kids, mostly black and Spanish. And instead of just telling us, or actually just approaching us and asking us what's going on, she decides to call the cops and says there's kids throwing rocks at her house. So now, you know, it goes from just throwing little pebbles to get your son to sneak out. to now the cops are here. Now we didn't know about this at the time. We, you know, he was like, Oh, my mom's pissed. You guys got to go. You guys got to leave. So we, we left and, you know, we didn't even, we're just walking because we don't assume there's any trouble or drama going down. And, you know, we're still even in the complex because we all lived in the same area. So we're just hanging out and all of a sudden two or three cop cars come and, and like kind of surround us. One pulls in front, one stays behind. And we could see the, the brother and the sister in the car pointing, like, you know, basically saying that's them. And they get out and the way they interacted with my Spanish and black friends versus me and my white friend was yeah. so it was like it was eye-opening that yeah. uh, i had just borrowed some cds it's crazy how we remember little details about these yeah. and the you know they were like everybody get down right now we were in in the middle of the road to be honest so i was just trying to take three steps to get in the grass and i took one step and you know the cop said something to me i was like i'm just trying to get to the grass i'm even pointing to it like i just want to sit in the grass and he's like okay go but meanwhile, my friend who's trying to do the same thing, he's like, no, you you stay there. You get down. And they were being real aggressive with them. And they didn't check me, yet they were checking them. And mm-hmm. it just, it was, it was starting to introduce me to what people of color go through. And yeah. to this day, now, as things started happening this year, same thing, I started getting real vocal on social media and losing a lot of followers. And um, <laughs> it, it got to the point where I had made a comment about white privilege and you know everybody was like how can you say that and i was like i'm white and i can say i experienced yeah. it because i've gone through scenarios yeah that... you're allowed to say that why right. not it's you like to acknowledge that it's a it's a real thing right you know so it's it's you know you're it, sharing your experience right and that's you know what i love as you mentioned about the running community is especially the ultra community you uh-huh. it's like an escape you get away from the world because you're, we're, we're doing distances that 
require now maybe not you because you're pretty fast so you're done way faster than someone like me but you're out there for so many hours that Mm -hmm. you kind of when you're done and you start checking messages on your phone you're like all this happened while I was out there (laughs) and um, we mentioned it you know before recording that Uh the sport there could be for example 200 runners and five of them are are people of color Um, yeah how, when you first got into the sport, was there any kind of weird feeling about that to you? Like you were. Yeah. I mean, it was definitely that- noticeable. Um, honestly, I just felt like everybody was so cool that it wasn't an issue. It was just like, eh, you know, it's kind of like, I don't know. It didn't feel, it wasn't like it was like a golf club or something. You know what I mean? Right. Where I felt like that. I, it didn't feel like that. It felt like, these are, these are just really awesome people, but for some reason, you know, black people are, are not doing this sport because right. I, I mean, I think I have a lot of different theories of why, but, um, I definitely noticed the disparity, but I really didn't obsess about it too much or I didn't feel like weird vibes about it. I have been interested on how I could try to make a difference in like getting more people of color into the sport of trail running or introducing them. And so I've been really trying, instead of like, I've been really trying to work and start kids young. So we have, uh, we have some programs, some youth programs here in Portland through my business, Y East Wolfpack, where we have trail running and forest skills, skills camps in the summertime. And we have outdoor after school programs which incorporates hiking and trail running into it uh on mondays and wednesdays even through covid19 and it's been really great and we've had people kick in donations to provide um, scholarships for kids that might not be able to afford these programs and so that was been really a heartfelt moment uh, especially after going on the ginger runner uh, talk where all these people reached out and offered to pay for slots for these kids to attend camp and to attend the after school youth program. And, um, it really, really uh, meant a lot to me and to these kids, you know, more importantly, like some of these kids have no idea that they loved it so much. I had no idea that I would love it so much, you know? So I feel like introducing it and starting them early is the way to go. Like this can be something that and then when they also see people like me doing it, it gives them that role model to look up to. Right. Um, right. And, you know, right now they don't see that many people doing it. So they're like, oh, I'm not going to be able to do that. I, I, why would I? That's for white people. Uh, I don't see anybody right. that looks like me that's doing that. You know, so I think we that's what needs to change. I mean, they, a lot of kids of color maybe want to like be a professional baseball player or a football player or a basketball player because they see people that look like them doing that and making loads of money too. But the reality of that is, is pretty minuscule that (laughs) they're going to go pro, you know, the, a sport like, you know, trail running or an activity like trail running and ultra running is for me, it's been such a more than just a, professional sports or a competitive outlet for me it's actually been a much more than that it's been like a refuge for me in terms of dealing with oppression and dealing with my substance addiction and it's a way out to deal with these types of feelings and to 
than other than resorting to violence or drugs or alcohol or other other unhealthy things, right? Right. I like that you brought that up because uh, most recently, time is flying by so fast now. I trying to remember it was September. I was doing an, another one of my 100 mile races and uh, I was out on the course. And at some point during the race, people started saying things to me. Uh, I can't remember what they were now, but it was, they were saying like, we're proud of you, keep it up, things like that. And, and I'm thinking it's all race related because those are things that, you know, we say when we're out on the course, especially during ultras. Uh, and then I realized that my sister had put up a poster because uh, this was a looped course. Okay. So she had put up a little poster with my, uh, a couple pictures of me. And it said, uh, when I finish this race, I'll be, I think it was 112 days at that point, uh, but like a hundred and something days sober. And oh, had, nice. Yeah. So I realized uh, that's what everyone was talking about up to that point. Oh, that's uh, so cool. That's yes. awesome. Man. Congratulations. So, thank you. So it's one of those things where uh, I feel like, just like you mentioned, is once people start to get to know you and they follow you, whether on social media or just seeing you at other races, yeah. uh, they start introducing you to others because then next thing I know, I mean, the rest of the race, that was it was nonstop conversation where people were coming up and saying, Hey man, I'm this many years sober. And, and like yeah, we were just sharing awesome. stories and um, you know, I, I feel like that's, what's nice about when you do overcome, whether it's, you know, a substance abuse or you've been in a, let's say a, a domestically violent relationship or uh, dealt with racism and you've overcome these hurdles and and now you're vocal and people find out about it other people are willing to share their stories and you start uh opening up that exactly. comfort level right um, and i like what you're doing because i it made me think of i don't i'm sure you've heard of uh black girls run bgr yes yeah so you know they're really into getting black women into running and awesome. um i don't know if this is a national thing or not but lately locally i've been seeing a lot of uh black men running and they're wearing black men run shirts so they kind of yeah fed off of that and it's it's nice to see that people are like you said this sport it's not like you know you look at nascar there's like one or two uh yeah black or people of color uh, right like drivers hockey there's a couple right, right. Um, even the sport of wrestling it's it's you know, when I grew up wrestling, there were a handful. It was mostly the American side was mostly white. Uh, the other countries, obviously, it's it's different. Right. But running, you know, when you when people watch it, like you said, they're just seeing the really fast Kenyan, Ethiopian yeah, exactly. sprinters. And the Americans were, were fast, but we're not as fast as them. And they're all real lean. They're all real. Yeah. Uh, you know, they have that look where when you go to ultras, you're seeing 60, 70, 80 year old, you're seeing um, different body shapes, you're seeing walkers, you're seeing, right. You know, it's, it's, to me, it's become my addiction because I, like, if I look at a, a, a Facebook post of somebody posting pictures at a race that they're at, I start getting that FOMO fear of missing out. Like, yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. man, I should have signed up for that. Or, oh man, I didn't know all those people I knew were going to be there. I would have signed up. So 
Well, I, and I always say that about ultras too. One of the things I love about the sport is that I consistently get my ass kicked by somebody that doesn't look like a runner, <laughs> you know? Oh, that's, that is true. There's so many times in my head, I'm like, oh, I'm, you know, you're at the start line. You're like, okay, uh, I'll probably finish fifth or sixth. You're, you're looking at the people and, and you're like, <laughs> right. that guy's going to definitely smoke me. She looks good. Yeah, right, and then next right. thing you know, it's like, what, yeah. this guy beat me by five yeah, hours. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I remember this one dude beat me at uh, the Boston Marathon and he had a beard probably longer than yours and he had the craziest running gait. And I remember my brother even saying like, did you see that one dude with the long red beard? He was, he was all running crazy. He was fast. Yeah, for sure. So. Yeah. There's actually a kid. Oh, don't know how old he is now, but uh, when, during the time I was doing five K's, there was a eight, nine-year-old kid and this kid was running between 20 to 20 and a half minute 5Ks. And wow, it was like, I, I'll never forget the first race was mm -hmm. a, a 10K. I want to say from mile two to like four, we, we were like side by side and like to the point where he had that um, almost like you see in some of the old races where they start getting real close and nudging you. Almost like to let you know, like, I'm yeah. still here. You know, I'm yeah. a little kid. And everybody during the race was the whole, as you know, was out back. So as we're coming back, everybody's yeah. like, oh, did you see that kid? You see that kid? And yeah. I'm thinking, what about me? Like, I'm at the time, I'm running <laughs> PR pace for me. Like, I'm, I'm flying. So at like mile five, I was like, there's no way this kid's beating me. And <laughs> I, I gave it everything I had. And only beat him by like 20 something seconds. And after that, like I started talking to him, met his family. Like we became friends. He's real cool kid. But after that, it was funny because we, we'd be standing at the start line. We'd talk before the race and there would be people I could hear behind us. Like what, you know, what is this kid doing in the front? He's going to get knocked over. And, <laughs> and then at the end of the race, I'm watching him. Wow. You're so fast. So it's, it's definitely yeah. like we mentioned earlier, we judge books by the cover. Right, sometimes. Right. <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah, it's just kind of, I don't know, the way our brains works, um, the way we've been kind of brought up too. It's, it's a lot of it's not our fault. I mean, it's right. just, um, it's the way our, the way our society has been, the way we kind of view things, the way we were taught things and growing up and, you know, safety and this and that, you know, movies, TV, it all plays into it. Very true. Very true. And something uh, I'm actually glad that I, I think the timing was perfect. It was meant to be because uh, I just seen your most recent Instagram post and I wanted to now talk about it because it's, uh, I want to say we're about two, maybe less than three weeks away from it. Uh, yeah. I want thanks. you to talk about move through darkness because uh, I think yeah. that's a real interesting, I, I guess you would call it an event. Yeah, I mean, it's a self-organized event that um, I'm part of this organization here in Portland called the Alano Club of Portland, and they provide a lot of uh, outlets for people recovery, recovering from many different things. And they, we've obviously taken, I'm on the board of directors for that as well. And so we've taken a big hit, obviously, financially this year, as many, many organizations have. Um, so 
November is a big month. They're doing a fundraising campaign and they're thinking of doing all these things. Like we have like some celebrity chefs here in town that are like offering to do, you know, meals for people and, you know, to raise money and da da da. So I was thinking, what could I do to use my running, my passion for ultra running to try to, to raise money and awareness for this cause. And I just was kind of thinking about it. And I, I always have all my ideas. I don't know about you. I always have all my ideas when I'm running. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. And I, you know, I think there's probably research behind why that happens. You know, you're probably, you know, stimulating your parts of your brain, your creative part of your brain. Um, but yeah, I, uh, I just thought of this idea. I was like, man, November kind of towards the end of November is like the darkest time of the year. Um, here it's really dark. Uh, we're way up here at the different latitude. And right. I mean, it gets dark here at like, starts getting dark now this time of year, at like four thirty. Oh, and yeah. And, um, I also, you know, was kind of playing on the, the dark times that we're going through and the dark times that addicts and alcoholics go through. And especially during this time, you know, people that are trying to get through, their addiction during these dark times that we're going through as a, as a country. And I just kind of thought of this idea. Why don't I use my running as a way to raise money and awareness? And I said, well, I'm going to create this project where at sunset, you know, whatever my iPhone app says, the sun sets, I'm going to start my GPS on that at that time. And I'm going to run through the whole evening, through the whole night until the app says sunrise, you know, um, and to my calculations, it's going to be over 14 hours of darkness. So I encourage people to pledge $1 per mile if they're, if they're able to do that. And yeah, so far we've got a bunch of people, like 40 people that have pledged and nice. I'm really great, grateful for that. And uh, that's my next project. And, you know, uh, I invited people to run with me for, for portions of it or bike with me. And that's majority of it is on roads or, uh, bike, you know, trails that you can ride bikes on. So yeah, that's what I'm doing. That's where I'm focusing my energies on the 21st of this month. Yeah. You can check it out on our website at yeastwolfpack.com or, uh, on my f Instagram or Facebook, if you want to kick in, that'd be awesome, but no pressure. Yeah, I'll and... definitely, uh, I'll put all the links in the show notes and, and oh, thanks. share. Yeah, well, definitely. Much, much appreciated. Yeah, no, it's been, it's been a tough time. Um, I, you know, a lot of people aren't doing face-to-face -face stuff because of, you know, the obvious reasons, but we, we started off, we started back doing these, these uh, twice a week safe meetups for runners that are in recovery because uh like i said it's been a real tough time um to for people to connect you know there's only right. so much connection you get from zoom meetings and whatnot and so we safely we get together tonight actually we're i gotta get going here soon because tonight we have a, a trail run that we do every friday happy hour friday uh trail run and then uh we do track workouts on tuesday nights and that was really um, spurred on and uh, motivated me to fire those back up this summer because uh, unfortunately, one of my friends who was part of the group 
um, took his own life this summer and, uh, it was super sad, man. It really, really shook me up and I, I didn't, I really didn't even see it coming. And I mean, it was just another testament of like the ripple effect that all of this stuff is ha- has, you know, it's just, I mean, I was supposed to go running with him, and, and next thing you know, I was at his, you know, vigil at the park and it was, it was brutal. He was in his thirties and smart athletic guy and, you know, just everything became too overwhelming and he was just ready to move on. So I, I just, was adamant about getting these types of things going despite us having to be safe and social distancing and all that stuff. Like I, I was just like, you know what, we got to weigh our risk factors here because it's like people and kids and are, we can't just, this is not sustainable to just keep going the way we are you know so we safely get together with the kids on mondays and wednesday nights i do the recovery stuff on on tuesdays and friday nights and it just feels good to be doing like meaningful work like this yeah for sure because it's uh, that's kind of what actually i shouldn't even say kind of it is in a way as as much as i and and most of the world is tired of this virus and and quarantine it it's what saved my life because being forced home more um, caused yeah. the addiction to get stronger and the depression to get stronger. And it yeah. led me to a very ugly night that uh, since then, you know, I, I got the help that I needed for so long. And, and since then I've been sober, I've not dealt with suicidal thoughts and, and, you know, it's, it's one of those things I just, I always try to encourage people at this point, like I mentioned in the beginning that we see other people and we think, that won't be us or that can't be us. And if we just are willing to humble ourselves and, and give getting help a true chance um, it's incredible. And, and for running, you know, I know so many people that have turned to that. I have a, a good friend who just did, he spread it out over, he was basically doing 15 hours a day just so his body could recover, but he did 15 hours a day until he hit 368 miles and he was running it for mental health awareness and 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 he lives in the Keys, So now he had a beautiful view the whole time. (laughs) Um, But you know, it's, it's like what you're doing and like what he did and, and so many others that were, were using, like you said, the platform, um, mm-hmm, whether mm-hmm. you're me and you have a couple hundred followers or, or you with thousands and, and people that go even further um, mm-hmm. you see these athletes pro athletes that have millions of followers that are, are speaking out about different things and it's just nice yeah, to see yeah that, yeah um, we're using the platform and i know you got to go so if uh if, if you had any last message to anybody dealing with or dealt with um, substance abuse, racism, any of those topics we've discussed and you wanted to give them some sort of encouragement before we wrap this up, the mic's all yours. Yeah, I would just say, you know, to, to keep talking about these things, to remember that, you know, it's okay for things to be uncomfortable. Um, and like I said before, it's like a, a lot of times to grow, you need to experience pain. So embrace these challenging times and these painful times and be hopeful that we're going to get through this feed the good wolf as we like to say 
Um, and if you don't know the story of the two wolves, uh, you can Google that. It's a Cherokee legend about the two wolves. And I'll let you go ahead and research that. But it's a good story. It's a good lesson to live by. And also, you know, getting out, it doesn't have to be an ultra marathon. It can be literally walking around the block, getting outside of the park, looking up at the sky, getting fresh air, taking some deep breaths. And, you know, it's real easy to go down these rabbit holes on our computers and on our devices. So I, I always just recommend just to get some fresh air and connect with nature on a regular basis and to help kind of get you right minded. So thanks so much for having me on. Uh, really nice chatting with you. Um, I look forward to continue following you and hope we can meet together in person someday. Uh, I have a feeling if that happens, it'll be at a race and I'll see you for about two or three minutes at the start line, <laughs> you'll be gone. But I, I appreciate you coming on and talking about this. And, and for anyone listening again, I'm going to put all his links, uh, all his information in the show notes. So you guys can follow him and, and reach out to him. Cause it was uh, the ginger runner, Ethan Newberry, who mentioned it in his show, how um, open to conversation Yasin is. And it's what gave me the confidence to reach out to him and, and, you know, I look forward to following you on, on your journey and I will definitely be supporting for the movie. Oh, thank you so much, Phil. Really appreciate that. Of really course. And that, that takes a lot because I'm not a guy who likes to donate. <laughs> but oh, I, when I see messages, no, no pressure, no pressure to, to donate, but I really appreciate you even just having me on and, and, and talking about these important issues and just spreading the word about it. No, it's, it's one of those things that I, I look back and I, I feel like there's so many things I waste money and throw money at. There's, there's so many better things I could do with my money. And <laughs> right. this conversation here has motivated me even more to not be so stingy and, and, you know, support a great movement. So again, oh, I, thank you. of course, so for everyone listening check the show notes for his links. I appreciate all the support as always. Uh, and like I always say, especially during these times, just keep grinding those lows and riding those highs. Oh, awesome. Thank you so much. Have a great weekend. You too, man. All right, buddy. Thanks for listening to the mile you're in podcast. If you enjoyed it, make sure to like share and subscribe, check out previous episodes and more at heelstriker 954com